Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. And so today, I want to look at a portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and talks about what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. What characteristics, what qualities would a citizen of the kingdom of heaven have? What does it look like to live out the Sermon on the Mount? We, we saw that Jesus first starts out with the fact that you're blessed because that's God's position towards you to bless you. Then, it, then Jesus begins to talk about your nature, that you are light, you are salt, you are like a great city on a hill, that you show who Jesus is on planet earth. Then last, last week we talked about what it looks like to surrender to Jesus, but, ten, but right now I want to show you what it looks like to live out the life Jesus has called you to live. How many people say that's what I want to do? I want to live out the life. Come on, Jesus has called us to live. Will you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus is well now into the Sermon on the Mount, and he's beginning to teach people how to live. He's elevating their character. He's quoting the Old Testament, and he's presenting a new covenant. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38 through 48, the Bible says this, Jesus is speaking and he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was the old way of justice. This was the old way of law, the old way of righteousness. But now Jesus comes and he elevates it. And he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. How you doing? You doing good so far? He continues. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain, especially today, on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the pagans, do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The reality is, you and I will never excel in God's kingdom if we continue to live like the world. He's calling us higher. When he says you must be perfect, that word means complete, whole. And thank God that he's the one that perfects. Like your heavenly father is perfect. Hear me, the goal is to become like God. That's the goal. We want to become like God. Now you might say, well, that's a goal that's impossible to achieve. And yet God calls us to it anyways. And he gives grace to fill in the gaps where you fall short. But he doesn't lessen the call. He says, I want you to become like me. I want you to become like God. And so that's our goal, to be godly. Can you say amen? amen. How many people say, that's my goal, 
is to be godly. Tell your neighbor, that should be your goal. Well, how do you do this? I would challenge you. I would say you, you begin to do this by obeying the principles of the kingdom. Because by obeying the principles of the kingdom that Christ lays out, eventually you'll become like the king. It might not happen overnight, but as you follow Jesus, you walk in his ways, you apply his principles to your, mar your mind, your heart, your soul, your being, eventually he is going to change you from glory to glory, from grace to grace. He is going to make you like your king. And that's the goal of every Christian, to become like our king. And so today I want to go through these four qualities of, of, the, of kingdom citizens that we find here, four Christian principles. Now these kind of have become cliches because they've been so used in our society, but they are much more than cliches. These are Christ's significant call to a radical life. My question for you today is, will you accept the challenge, Christ's call to a radical life? Come on, let's pray. Jesus, right now, we ask for you to come. And I ask, Lord, as I preach, will you speak to us, change us, correct us, challenge us, encourage us. And I pray, God, there's a spirit of faith in the room that we want to hear from you. That's why we're here today, is to hear from you. So speak to us by your word. Confirm it by your spirit. Let us grow in wisdom. Let us grow in strength. And let us grow in submission to you. And everyone who agrees, in the mighty name of Jesus, says amen. 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 And amen. Four qualities of kingdom citizens, four Christian principles that we find here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, four things that will make you become godly. The first, we see Jesus begin with that famous phrase, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a, and a tooth for a tooth. That's the old way. That's the law. That's found three times in the Old Testament. In fact, they dug up in, uh, in, in, um, in ancient Persia, they, they dug up an, an ancient uh, code. It's called Hammurabi's Code. It's 2,000 years old. And even on that code, in the ancient law, all the way back there in the Near East, there was the law that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was true both in the Jewish culture and the, the greater secular culture, that you would measure insult for insult, pain for pain, hurt for hurt. This was clear. This was accepted. This was practiced. This is how people live. But don't forget, there's a second part to this phrase. Jesus says, but I'm here now. Yeah. And now I say something greater. We're here to do more than just equal damage to each other. We're here to do more than just equal and opposite pain to each other. He's introducing a concept of a radical lifestyle, radical generosity, radical forgiveness. And so he gives us this phrase. What I want you to do if someone slaps you is turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Turn to your neighbor and say, turn the other cheek. Did they turn away from you when... Turn the other cheek. What is Jesus asking us to do? He's saying, I want you to ignore an insult. I want this to be your lifestyle. I want you to get good at overlooking slights. Maybe the word ignore isn't heavy enough. Maybe I could change it, shift it slightly to use the word overcome. Overcome an insult. Have a response that's greater 
have a reaction that is greater than the action that was done towards you. And so Jesus, Jesus uses the ultimate example of shame. In that world, in that time, if you were to slap someone across the face, it was a declaration of war. And I mean, that's, and that, that's not even of that time. And we, we saw it recently at the Oscars. When you see something like that, it's dehumanizing. But Jesus' response is that you don't go to war over this. You don't fight back. You don't become like the person that did the damage to you. And you might say, no, no, that's not logical. Logic says whatever you do to me, I'm going to do to you. Tenfold. And we might say, well, maybe not tenfold, but equal. But Jesus comes and says, no, I want you to live higher. I want you to have a reaction that's godly. Not natural, not out of your flesh, not out of your fight, not out of your anger, not out of your pain. I want you to do the impossible. Ignore an insult. And I'm here to tell you it is not weakness to not respond. It is not weakness to not respond. In fact, when you choose to not respond to a slight it brings you into the realm of godliness. It brings you into a greater realm and a greater response. The Bible says in Proverbs, a fool is quick-tempered. A, a fool responds. fool reacts. A fool gives back. But a wise person stays calm when insulted. They can gather their thoughts. They don't have to react. They don't have to flip out but they're able to not respond in kind. And that's what Jesus is calling you. I told you this would be difficult. It only gets more difficult as the sermon goes on. <laughs> so lean in. No, no, we're not called to be reactionary. We're not called to match insult to insult, anger for anger. We're called to react like God. Because see, we stand before God, not just before the person that hurt us, we stand before God. And the challenge is when you're hurt, when you're insulted, is to not let the insult become your identity. To not let the pain become who you are. To not let the hurt become what you rehearse. How many times have you been hurt by someone's action, reaction, something someone said, and you go home and you rehearse it in your mind? You try and go to sleep, but you can't stop thinking about what they said. You can't stop thinking about what they do. You go through the conversation over and over. And by the end of it, you are good in that conversation. You are doing, you are doing jujitsu, <laughs> conversational. You got them in chokehold. You know, it was like when George Costanza comes up with the jerk store reaction. Yeah, this, this, that's 20 years old uh, illustration. <laughs> And you're holding this thing. Next time I see this person, I got something for him. <laughs> and now you're living looking for an opportunity to insult. Now you're living as someone looking to cause pain. That's not you. Certainly not Christ-like. Come on, come up higher. Don't let that insult become your identity. I, I've heard many times uh, champions who, who win at the highest levels of their sport and they'll get on the mic and, and sometimes they'll thank their mom and sometimes they'll thank their coach, but many times you'll, you'll even hear them say, you know, I remember when my third grade teacher said I'd never be anything. I remember when my gym coach told me I'm not enough. I remember, and it's like, you're living from that insult? Your whole life, you're carrying that? Let it go. 
Don't respond. Turn the other cheek and become a better man, better woman. Become greater in who you are. You say, well, I need that drive to make me who I am. Let me tell you, a greater drive than a negative is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring you exactly where you need to be. And hear me, you'll be healthy along the way. Healthy mind, healthy spirit, healthy actions, healthy reactions. Don't let it become your identity. Don't let it go too deep. Can I add to this? Don't run away from the insult. Sometimes you'll, you'll, get, in a, you'll get into something with someone, and what's our response? Fight or flight. You either insult back or you say, that person's dead to me. <laughs> Some people are hurt in relationship and they say, men are dead to me. Women are dead to me. Because of one person, you're going to write off four billion people? Because of one boss, you're going to write off every boss? Because of one pastor, you're going to write off all of Christianity? You're going to write off Jesus? Because an elder, well, they didn't shake my hand when I walked in the building. You can leave the faith or you can practice the faith. Here's your opportunity. Jesus is calling us higher, but, but in order for you to lean in, in order for you to turn the other cheek, you're going to have to practice forgiveness because the slights will be real, not just perceived. And you're going to have to choose to forgive. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, how many times should we forgive a, a brother? Seven times? Thinking they're good. Seven. Jesus says 70 times seven, which might as well be infinity. But Jesus is saying, I want you to live a lifestyle of practiced forgiveness. That's what turning the other cheek is, is saying, I'm not going to become like you. Maybe you're insulted by your mother-in-law. Maybe you're insulted by your boss. Maybe you're hurt by a sibling. Now you have the opportunity to say, I'm hurt, therefore I can justify any reaction back. I can hurt him back. I can cut them off. I can close up. I can harden my heart. I can persecute them in my mind. That's the natural reaction. Or I can try that thing Jesus called me to do, which is to turn the other cheek and practice forgiveness. Make no mistake, you will be a greater man, greater woman, if you are able to learn the practice of forgiveness and offering another chance. Hey, I understand that's you. Maybe you're the bully. Maybe you're the one shrieking at me. Maybe you're the one cursing at me, but I'm not gonna become a bully back. I'm not gonna shriek back. See, the, the enemy in them, the devil in them, wants to pull out the devil in you, you know? And all of a sudden, you start forgetting how long you've been saved. All of a sudden, you forget how many crews you went to, how many altars, you start taking off the jacket, and you're like. No, no, I, I, can't, I can't become like you. I have to become like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of the one that turned the other cheek. I mean, you think he is perfection personified, and yet they tore out his beard. They spit on him. They cursed him. They maligned him. They abused him. They spoke all manner of evil against him. And by the way, he was perfect. Some of the insults that you've received, they've got a little bit of truth, but in him, there was no truth. It was all lies, 100% against Jesus. He was perfect, and yet what did he do? He turned the other cheek. Because there is a strength in silence. 
The Bible tells, of, uh, tells us that he was like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't fight back. He didn't call on Michael the archangel to come and destroy these idiots. He didn't react like you or me, but he chose a higher level to be silent in the face of accusation, to practice true forgiveness, radical generosity towards people. And what is he doing? He's practicing what he preached and he's showing us how to live. And I want you to please hear me. Sometimes the greatest response that you can give to an action of hell or an action of sin or an action that's just centered in, in, in mankind, the flesh, sometimes the greatest response you could ever give is no response at all. Please don't hear me. Silence, meekness is not weakness. Silence is strength. In fact, I would propose to you that silence is the ultimate strength. When you can forgive, where you can let go, and where you don't have to have the last word. See, the amens are getting fewer and fewer. <laughs> because your flesh is saying, well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> and we agree, <laughs> you're not. No, this is a practice that's on the level of godliness. But it is something we want to go towards. I don't, I don't want to always have to be right. I want to be righteous. I don't always want to have to be correct. I want to be accepted by God. Because you have to understand in every insult, you don't just stand before the person, you stand before God. And when those people were insulting Jesus, he didn't answer them because he was standing before God. What you say doesn't make me. What you say doesn't define me. What you say is not in control of me. If someone has something negative to say, someone's screaming at you and you start screaming back, you are now under their power. You are becoming like them. They now control your actions. They control your mind. They control your spirit. When you're going to bed and you're coming up with stuff and you're mumbling on your pillow, they are in control. Really, a spirit gets in control. But when you say, I forgive and I let go, and I'll do it as many times as it takes for the cycle to wash me clean, I forgive and I let go, you become like Jesus standing before God because you don't just face the person. You stand as a representative of God in the flesh. And he's saying, show them what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. Can you say amen? amen. Sometimes the greatest response is no response. And by the way, when you do that, it's not as if something doesn't happen, you give it to God. God, you see what's happening here? I'm giving this to you. Let God be your defender. Let God be your vengeance. Let God be the one that steps in. Let God be the one that sees it. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen this happen where I personally have had an opportunity to respond in anger or hatred and I've chosen not to and I see a blessing come weeks or months later in another area, but the Holy Spirit will say, I'm blessing that reaction. He has the eternal scales. He holds the eternal scales. Now, I'm not saying that you stay in a cycle of abuse, uh, physical or, or, or any other type of abuse. I'm not saying you stay in, you can, you can draw clear boundaries. But I am saying in the rare opportunities where you get that slap across the face, because it is rare, it is an opportunity to react like Christ. You might only get this once or twice or three times in your life. Do you become like Jesus or do you become like the person that's slapping you? I pray you and I, we come up another level. We come up another level. Come on, we practice forgiveness. We show Jesus. And you become greater. And by the way, can I just throw the practical in here? This advice might save your life. 
Because there's a lot of people that have lost their life over a little insult in a bar fight. Over a little insult as you're walking across the street, a little insult at a, at a stadium, they lose their life. Jesus is saying, if you can become the bigger man, you'll have a life that flourishes instead of you constantly being at odds with your fellow man. Are you with me, church? Jesus says, number one, the way to the kingdom citizenship is the ability to ignore an insult. Number two, Jesus says, when someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What is Jesus calling us to do? He's saying, bear another's burden. Well, let me give you some historical context for what this means. In that time, you know that the Jewish citizens, Israel, was under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Do you know that the Roman Empire had a rule, had a law, that they could impress anyone on the road into service? They, if you were just walking from one place to another and a contingent of Romans came by, they could take their pack off, their spears, their weapons, all of the stuff they're carrying, and they could put it on you. By law, you had to carry that one Roman mile, which is about a half mile uh, in, in our, our standard today. But this wasn't an easy pack. This pack usually weighed 90 to 120 pounds. And these guys have been trained for this, but you're just a regular person. You're just going to get lunch. And all of a sudden now you've got to carry the weight. And don't forget whose weight you're carrying. It's the enemy's weight. These people hated Rome. They're under oppression, they're under tyranny, and Rome hates them. There's no love between these two. And so if you had to do this, many, many would revolt against this, many would push back against this, many would mumble along the way about the injustice of it all. But Jesus is saying, release your privileges and accept someone else's burden that isn't yours. I want you to live this way where you're not looking to get out, where you're not looking to do less, but you actually accept the burden, not just of another, but of your enemy. Well, this is difficult because I'd actually rather fight the Romans, but when I put on the weight, it's more like I'm helping the Romans. And this is what God comes to us, to you. And he says, I want you not only to forgive them, it gets harder, not only forgive them, not only turn the other cheek, but when you have the opportunity to help your enemy, do it. Help those that would never help you. Love those that would never love you. Carry the weight of those that would put more weight on you. Jesus. Jesus. How do we do this? I'm over here trying to call curses down on my enemy. I'm over here trying to see God's hand against them, and you're telling me to help them? And not just help them what I'm barely required but go into a place of extraordinary, over-the-top help? Lord, you're asking much of us. But this is what God calls you to do, to carry the weight of those, hear me, that would not carry your weight. You know, I know of many stories of people even in this church that at the end of their parents' life, when they had some neglectful parents, difficult parents, they are caring for them even when those parents never really cared for them as children. And in this old time where they would want to say, hey, now you're on your own. You didn't care for me, you didn't carry my weight. Now that you're older, you need help. Now it's time for the scales to be balanced. But I've seen so many people who have forgiven their parents when their parents don't deserve it. Love their parents, go over their parents' house, help them get all the medical supplies, everything they need to live. Can I tell you, that's what it looks like to live in forgiveness, like Jesus, carrying the burden of someone that maybe didn't carry your burden. But you're gonna show them 
This is what it looks like to be a Christian. I personally even feel like Christianity, Christians are doing this right now for society. Right now, Christianity, our values, they're maligned, they're hated, we're pushed aside, and yet here we are carrying the weight of, of moral values for society. And it seems like society is doing everything they can to corrupt children, to corrupt marriage, to hate the church, to, to cut truth out of our lives. And yet here we are as Christians choosing not to retaliate, not to fight, not to become like them, but to instead say, you say whatever you're going to say, you do whatever you're going to do, but I'm still going to say, God bless America. I'm still going to say it. You say, well, America's not perfect. Neither was Rome but I'm choosing to carry the weight that society refuses to carry. I'm choosing to pray for those that hate me. It's difficult sometimes praying for certain people in government positions, but I gotta force myself to do it because God's called me to it and I've gotta carry this weight because I care about the families of this nation, the churches of this nation, the children of this nation. So Lord, help our leaders. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord intervene. I'll even, be, I'll even be perfectly honest with you all. When I pray for Israel, some people get mad. When I pray for the citizens of Gaza, other people get mad. But I choose to take both burdens on and I will pray for all those that Jesus would have me pray for. Those that are stuck under corrupt in horrific situations, not of their own choosing. And I pray those who are innocent get the hand of God's protection on them, that God intervenes. I have to pray. And if I can, I want to help. I want to help. And you say, that's wrong. I know. Jesus knows, but he says, I want for you to do something not because of who they are, hear me, but because of who you are, because of who I am. I'm here to show who Jesus is in the world. Are you with me, church? This is what Jesus, and, and you see how controversial it is. And by the way, by the way, Jesus didn't call us to this without, call us to this without showing us what it looks like, because the Bible tells us in Romans 5 that you and I were enemies of Christ. We were enemies of God, and yet... When Jesus took up the cross, he did not take up his cross. He took up your cross. He carried your burden, your sin, your shame, your pride, your past. He carried what was not his up that mountain. And now he looks at us and says, now go and do likewise. Take on the burden that maybe you feel like shouldn't be yours to carry, but do what I've done and bless those who curse you. Forgive those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Go with them an extra mile. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, church? You got some more? You got some more room? You got more room? I can close it right now. We can close the kitchen down. We can go home. It's amazing what Jesus calls us to. The deeper you look into it, the deeper it goes. The well goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And make no mistake, I'm not just asking you to do this by your willpower. Like, hey, change your mind, change your feelings. You are gonna need a healthy dose of God's grace every single day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. Lord, you need to forgive me or else I'm not gonna be able to forgive. Lord, help lead me. Help lead me in this. Give me the grace I need to be gracious. Give me the strength I need to carry someone else's burden. Can I tell you, if you carry someone else's burden, God sees it. 
God notes it and God blesses it. I, I pray. I mean, he's asking us to carry our enemy's burden. A lot of us have trouble carrying our spouse's burden. We just say, look, you got to handle that. I, I, don't, I, don't have, I, don't have, I don't have the ability. I don't have the capacity. I'm up to here. But can you imagine what your spouse would do if you ever went to him and said, honey, how could I help you today? After you pick them up off the ground because they're in shock. They've never heard you speak like this. Can you imagine if you ever went to your boss and you said, hey, what more can I do? Your boss would have a heart attack. You'd get his job. <laughs> this is getting worse and worse. It's shockingly different to take on someone's burden that's not your own. Heaven notes it, but can I, can I tell you the truth? People note it too. Somehow it becomes a spiritual thing and opportunity usually presents itself as weight, as responsibility. And if you're able to carry it, God is able to give more responsibility, more, more blessings, more breakthrough in your life. I'm, I'm here to ask you, church, begin to think differently about the people around you the weights they bear and what you're called to bear with it. Can you say amen? amen? Okay, four qualities. The first is to ignore an insult. The second is to bear another's burden. But the third is to practice radical generosity. Jesus says this, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I know that Jesus, Jesus I, I, I know he knows, or maybe I'm inferring this, but to me it feels like Jesus is saying, don't refuse the one who would, he says, give to the one who begs and don't refuse someone who would borrow because you and I all know that if someone borrows something from you, you ain't never getting that thing back. <laughs> it's gone. Kiss it goodbye as you hand it to them. I still have Pastor Marco's Band of Brothers DVDs <laughs> that he gave me when he was my youth pastor and he's never getting them back. I don't even have the DVD player and he's never getting them back. But what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, I want you to practice radical generosity. I want you to give with no thought of return. I want you to give with no thought of reward. You know, I, I know it's true, and you've heard the phrase, you cannot outgive God. And that is absolutely true. But can I add to that, that even though that is true, you should still give whether God gives back to you or not. You should give without thought of reward. Give to the one who asks. Jesus is saying, don't give to rise your influence. Don't just give strategically. Whenever a need presents itself before you, be God in that need. Let him give through you. Let him show himself through you into that person's life. Give. The, 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 the Bible says in Proverbs, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. As you stand in the place of God, and again, I don't mean that you are God, but you stand in the place of God, he's able to give through you. And make no mistake, a lot of that gets caught in you. That's right, that's right. It's like the, 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 that story where uh, the widow was making her last cake for her and her son to eat, last piece of bread. Elijah shows up and he says, why don't you, why don't you make me some bread? And she says, no, no, we don't have enough. We're going to make this bread and then we're going to die. That's the vision for our life. We're going to eat and then we're going to die. That's as far forward as I can see. And Elijah says, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice. Make that bread for me. This woman has a choice. She can say, listen, you're crazy. Get out of here. Listen, this is my last bit. Move on to someone else. Many logical things. I've got, I don't got enough for you. You got to go to someone that does. But here she practices radical generosity. It's one thing to give a meal. It's one thing to give many meals. But to give your last meal, this is supernatural. 
And yet, here comes the supernatural response. After Elijah eats the meal, he says, now here's what I want you to do. Go get every single jar that you can from all of your neighbors in the entire city. When she gathers them all up, he says, pour out from the jar that has no oil left into the other jars. And as she pours, the oil continues to flow from one to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. What happened? The oil doesn't run out, you know. The jars run out, but not the oil. The only thing that will run out when you become generous is your capacity, but never God's ability. God can give so much more. I'm here to tell you, church, what kind of church we are. We are a radically generous church. We give in every area as much as we can, over the top. We give until it hurts. That's sacrifice. You step from giving into sacrifice when it begins to hurt. And uh, that's our lineage. I mean, if you look at the early church, the Bible says that they, they all held their possessions as if they were one another's. They, they viewed their own things as if I, this is mine, but if you need it, if you need it, it's going to be yours. This is, this is powerful. This is what communism wants, but it can never be forced from government. It has to come out of your heart. And it can only come out of your heart if your heart has been regenerated. And so they all held everything in commonality. They sold fields. They sold houses. And they brought the money before the apostles. And they say, if you know people in need, give this to them. Six chapters into Acts, right at the beginning of the church, it starts up a whole ministry to feed and clothe widows and orphans. And I mean, it's so powerful. Like you see people saved, baptized, fed. The spiritual and the physical combined. Why? Because you cannot encounter Jesus and not eventually get radical generosity on you. This is what Jesus says. He, he says, give to the one who begs. Don't hold back. Don't hoard. Don't be strategic with it. No, no. I want you to show them what it looks like to follow me. I think of the church that we're living in, that, that we're gathering in today, the pastors that mortgage their homes, Pastor Mike Corcoran, Pastor Ron Tamale. Pastor Steve and their wives, their families mortgaged their homes to build this church. The elders brought thousands of dollars. Some people cashed in their retirements. No one was asked to do any of this. They were just told that, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna build a mighty house of the Lord. And they gave radically. I think of the men that showed up every single night for a year to build every aspect of this house. That's radical generosity. It's over the top. People that took down payments from their home and gave it to this house. And I know quite a few that did that. And I know the home they live in now. You see, the enemy would want to say, if you give that down payment, you'll never get a house. But God, God has miraculous things. God's greater than the stock market. He's much greater than Zillow. He's greater than the Fed rates. He can do miraculous things, but you gotta give him a chance. So we sit and we stand today in someone else's sacrifice. But that's the kind of church we have. I know of crews where people's cars fell apart and someone said, I got a spare car, here's the keys. I know of crews where someone couldn't pay rent and Someone, they gathered together, they took a little offering in the crew, they paid rent. Someone said, I've got an apartment, you can move in here. The rest of the crew says, hey, I got a truck, I, I can help move you. Gather together, let's do it on Saturday. 
What is this? This is radical generosity between the members of the church. And may those stories not all be of the past. We're expanding the lobby. We're going to need generous people. There's expansion coming in the church. We have three full services. Well, you know, 830 is on its way. (laughs) Keep praying for it. We don't have enough parking spots. We don't have enough rooms for the children. We don't have enough seats. We're going to need some people to step up and say, it's not just the pastors that gave. We're ready to give. We're ready to expand. We're ready to continue the work of the ministry that God has given this church 30 years, 30 years more. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I want you to show them what radical generosity looks like. And I'm going to close right now with the fourth and final point. And this might be the most difficult. Jesus says at the end of all of this, what I really want you to do is I want you to love your enemies. And I want you to pray for those who persecute you. In order to love your enemies, you have some people you're going to have to forgive fully. Because the truth is, there can be no love without active forgiveness. Like a garden can't grow without constant water. In order for you to love, you're going to have to constantly forgive. Constantly forgive. And so Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. And everyone can say, yeah, sure, theoretically. Yeah, 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 I love them, I love them. I love them, I don't think about them. I shiver when I do. I grip my teeth. (laughs) But I love them. It's so theoretical. But Jesus knows that we'd say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bless them, Lord. No, he, he, so that's why he says, I want you to go to the next step. Pray for him. Wow. Pray that God will bless him. Pray that God will awaken him. Pray that God will change him. Pray that the children will come to know the Lord. You know, here's the sign. You know you have forgiven fully in your heart when you can pray for those that hurt you the most. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love your enemies. And even further than that, I want you to pray for the ones that are against you, persecute you, mock you. And you might say, this is, this is too much, God. I can't do this. But Jesus says to you today, no, you can. I did it. You can do it. When he was on the cross, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, Father. For they don't know what they're doing. They're sinning. They're broken. They're hurt. They're being driven by an enemy that hates them as much as it hates God. Insulting them as much as they're insulting God. He says, Lord, forgive them. But you know, just a few chapters later in the book of Acts, we see Stephen being stoned to death. And he's not God. He's not Jesus. But he says the same thing. He looks up to those that hate him. They're gnashing their teeth. They're literally casting stones, trying to bash his brains in. And his final words is, Lord, forgive these people. They don't know what they do. If Stephen can do it, you can do it. If he can choose to forgive, to love, to pray for his enemies, his persecutors, you and I, we can do that. My challenge to you today, very practically, is today, would you pray for someone that you know would never pray for you? Try and put this into practice. See if God could work some miracles. And even if God doesn't change the relationship with that person, may he change your heart within you. Sometimes, all times, prayer doesn't change God, but prayer always changes us. Prayer might not change that person, but it might change who you are. Why? Because as Jesus says, then you'll become sons of the Father. You'll become like Jesus. You'll become like Jesus. How many people today say, that's my goal. I want to become like Jesus. That's what I want my heart to be. It's what my action should be.
Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus is so good. He practiced what he preached and he calls you to do the same. He closes his sermon saying, you therefore must be perfect even as I am perfect. That's the highest goal is that you become like Jesus. I believe today that that process begins by obeying the principles of the kingdom, putting them into practice in your life. And as you begin to obey the principles of the kingdom, you will become like the king. You become like Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.